Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. Welcome this beautiful, beautiful Thursday morning. We're getting some rain, much-needed rain. You know, without the rain, we cannot get the crops, can't get things to grow. And what NCB grow things, they grow co-ops. And this morning, we have Mr. Chuck Snyder on the program, and he is the president of the National Cooperative Bank, NCB. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Vernon. How are you doing doing this morning? I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, very good. We're celebrating four years of being on the uh, the radio and getting the word out about co-operatives. And you know, Chuck, in that first year, four years ago, we were only going to do it for a month, and it's expanded to four years. Yep, and uh, I think um, we have great things planned uh, for next year uh, as well, so we're going to make it bigger and better and put more of the content uh, online so even more people can uh, hear about uh, the progress of cooperatives around the country. Chuck, why did you decide to support this in your energy, your enthusiasm, and some money. Why did you decide to do that? Well, I think uh, cooperatives are one of America's best-kept secrets. And, you know, there's a lot of advertising and talk about uh, various different public policies and that, um, you know, have worked. And many have not. And co-ops um, are, are celebrating, you know, uh, over 150 years' worth of contributions and uh, really don't get the, the word out uh, to the public. For the most part, uh, they serve their members. And uh, there's no real need to advertise and create brand names. But there's a lot of brand names out there that uh, that are cooperatives that you just don't know about. In in the farm, you, you talked about the rain and growing crops and, and ocean spray and land of lakes, uh, butter, uh, blue diamond uh, almonds, cabbage cheese, are all cooperatives that are owned by the, the farmers. And then you have small business uh, purchasing uh, uh, co-ops. Uh, these are small businesses uh, all throughout the, the country that may have grocery store uh, uh, cooperatives up in the New York area. You have uh, Wakefern or uh, ShopRite, um, a fresh grocer in, in Philadelphia. So you have all sorts of different types of uh, purchasing cups of businesses. Um, here in, in D.C., we have some very successful Ace Hardware stores that are own, locally owned, but they belong to the Ace Cooperative so that they can compete against the home uh, home depots of the, of the world so they can aggregate all their purchases so they get better deals uh, so they can pass it on to their communities. And so uh, co-ops play a very important part in, in building a community. And, and, for example, I was uh, recently up in, um, up in New Jersey, up in the inner city, Newark, New Jersey. Okay. And uh, there was a grocery store in the inner city, and we've heard a lot about uh, food deserts and, and people not being able to buy uh, healthy food in their communities. And uh, ShopRite uh, Co-op, which is owned by independent businessmen around the uh, tri-state or, or really from Virginia all the way up to uh, uh, Connecticut. But uh, they opened up a, a store in, in Newark, New Jersey, right in the uh, heart of, of Newark. 
and it's really something that is part of the uh, the community. You you walk in, you immediately see a a mural of the of the community that the community actually uh, painted. And about 15, 20 years ago, I visited another grocery store in Newark, New Jersey. It was a, a Pathmark store, and it was much celebrated at the time. But it really didn't uh, serve the community. It was a dirty store. It really didn't meet the needs of, of the community and eventually closed. And this store is just so nice and, and, and well-stocked that they actually had some of the customers, when they first came in, actually cried uh, that someone <laughs> okay. cared that much about them that uh, built a world-class grocery store in their community. You know, Chuck, you, you said a lot, and it started with the question of why this radio program. And I recall you and I and 150 other cooperators were at the U.N. in 2011. That's right. And then we were together in 2012 at the White House, uh, uh, staff members talking about co-ops. And in both of those meetings, it was said over and over and over again that this was co-ops are the best-kept secret, not right. only in the U.S., but around the world. Some places around the world, it's known better than in the U.S., but it's the best-kept secret. And so I came to you four years ago, like four and a half years ago, to pitch this idea of this radio program to let people know about the benefits of co-ops. And you bought on to it, and you know, I had an idea, and you pushed me. <laughs> I thank you for that. You got the idea. You pushed it. Let's do it. Like you're saying, we're going to do bigger and better things next year, and I appreciate you as a partner in that. Well, if it was a push, it was just a little push to get the ball. To, or you've uh, run with this uh, program, and I've had a lot of great guests on, on the show over the years. and. Congrats, and, and let's work together uh, next year to make it uh, even better. And you mentioned the different types of co-ops, and so just really quickly, I'd like to give the definition for those of you that have not heard this before, but there are basically four different types of co-ops. Main, there's a whole lot of different ones, but the first one, if it's, if it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. So any business you can think of that have employees, it could be a co-op. And then secondly, if it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the products or services, i.e. the consumers, it's called a consumer cooperative. And the ones that we know about are credit unions. Uh, we talked about food co-ops. We talked about housing co-ops. So if it's owned and controlled by those people that uses the products or services, in Chuck in Madison, Wisconsin, which I really like this idea, there is a health clinic that's owned and controlled by the patients. Right. And so it's a patient-centric health clinic. So their policies and procedures are put in place by the patients for the patients. And, and one of the great things about that, because it is patient-centric, a lot of time and energy is spent on, on wellness instead of trying to treat the disease after the, uh, after the fact. Right. Uh, they spend a lot of time in, in, um, in health checks and in Preventing the counseling disease. and things right. like that to, to head off those, yeah. those uh, illnesses uh, down the road. And that's uh, so sorely missed, I think, in our healthcare system today. And if it's consumer-run, people want to uh, live healthy lives, and, and um, they, they want to take care of things before it gets a big problem. Right. So the other two are, we already talked about purchasing co-ops. So groups of people get together, or groups of businesses like farmers or artists get together and form a co-op so that they can buy the, the, the products or equipment that they need to farm or to raise their cattle or whatever they're raising. And then artists are doing this now more and more where they'll come together, musicians uh, will come together or 
artists that make jewelry or other crafts and buy a warehouse or buy a storefront, and then everybody will bring their products together, and then Correct. they could sell it better. Correct. So we have these purchasing co-ops, and on the other end of it are the marketing cooperatives, and that's the ones that some of you mentioned, like uh, Land Lakes or Cabot Creamery, where the, the farmers will bring their products that they produce to these folks, and then they will market them. And, again, artists are doing that, that a lot, too. Right. So those are four types. Now, the bank sort of helps fund all of those? Absolutely, and all over the country, from inner city, uh, from Washington, D.C., all the way up through uh, Alaska. In fact, we actually finance some of the native uh, tribe organizations because we feel that they're a type of, of, of cooperative. It's owned by the native tribe uh, members. They share in the um, investment and they share in the rewards. They're governed by elections, by people from uh, members of the tribe and things. And so we've been doing that for some 30 you know, plus years. And many times we're the only uh, lender that's willing to talk with them. And uh, so we provide a very vital uh, service. Right now, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, tax reform uh, discussions on Capitol Hill. And we're spending some time educating the uh, Congress on um, how this will negatively impact cooperatives. And, and again, what's happening is is that you have people that are writing a tax law that they don't really understand the uh, cooperative uh, model. And you know, I think I like to think that uh, they're doing this inadvertently. But uh, you know, sometimes you wonder about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we could talk about this tax law some more. I find that what's common, what you say in your mission statement, um, or rather about your employees, that what they have in common is that they all join together cooperatively to meet personal, social, and or business needs. But most co-ops or most entities like the Alaskan tribes, they, they're all people come together to help solve community problems. Absolutely. Okay. And matter of fact, that first October, four years ago, a guy named Papa Sin who was on the program. Mm-hmm. Papa Sin is from Senegal, and he said that if there's no community problem, there's no need for a co-op. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> that they are, they do come together to solve community problems. And in his community, they created a housing co-op, then a transportation co-op, and then a school. Mm-hmm. That's what their community need, and they created all of those together. Right. And needs change over a period of time. It's just like uh, any uh, business um, you know, there's not too many businesses uh, selling buggy whips these days, you know, and, and things buggy whips, buggy whip, buggy whip. OK, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, uh, you know, uh, or buggies or, or buggies. Or, <laughs> uh, so uh, the cooperative model is endlessly adaptable. And if there is a need out there and people are willing to, to work together, they can get the economies of scale. And it's just uh, in today's economy, you hear a lot about sharing, you know, ride sharing, uh, uh, a lot of uh, discussion around millennials uh, wanting to, to uh, instead of own, they want to want to share things, mm-hmm. which is a cooperative a- a- activity. And um, you know, I, I think that in today's society, we tend to to want to butt heads with each other, and and um, that's not the way to get things done. Collaboration, uh, cooperation, people um, getting their their needs. Uh, fulfilled by working together with with one another is something that uh, is as valuable today as it was you know 150 years ago Um, it's always been that way well we're going to come back and talk we're going to take our first break but we'll come back and talk more about people working collaboratively working together cooperatively 
to get things done. But we'll be right back. If anybody wants to call in for a question or comment with Mr. Chuck Snyder, you can do so at 1-800-450-7876, and we'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative, and we have the absolute pleasure of having Mr. Chuck Snyder, the president of National Cooperative Bank, in the studio with us today. And we're talking about co-ops and how they got started. And right before we went on, we were talking about, when we took the break, we were talking about working together, how folks work together. And Chuck, in these four years of this show, I've come to get that it's a natural human being. In my view, we were intended to work together. This sort of view of being the Lone Ranger or John Wayne and do it all by yourself. And in both of those scenarios, they were, they still had folks to help them. Lone Ranger had Tonto and everybody else in the community helping right, him. Right. Or he couldn't have done it. And same thing with John Wayne. So I, I have it. Like the Alaskan tribes, or if you go all the way back to Africa or communities in England, that people knew what it was that they were expected to do. And if everybody had to work together to do what they had to do in order for the community to work. And if anybody didn't do their job, out on the, on the plains, the Native Americans, if everybody didn't do their job, people died. Right. Well, in today's society, we live in a very complex, uh, fast-changing society and if businesses uh, or any you know, really organization wants to get things done today, you have to work together in teams. And the only way you can work together in teams is if you have uh, people that are willing to um, cooperate, collaborate, take the ideas of, of others and, and add to them. And that's what uh, cooperation is, is all about. Now, you know, uh, co-ops are sometimes, uh, you know, messy, just like uh, democracy is a little <laughs> bit messy. You know, uh, you're very familiar with some of the housing co-ops uh, here in, in um, Washington, D.C., and, and, you know, sometimes those board meetings can go a little bit long. But, uh, you know, that's just people uh, working to get together. You know, sometimes it takes a little training to uh, work together in, in, a, in a boardroom because co-operatives are, are businesses, and, and they're run like businesses. They have a board of directors. They have a mission and vision statement. They have strategies. They have, a, they, uh, have revenue and expenses, and, and hopefully you know, they're, they're making money so they can reinvest in, in their community. So it's, it's uh, um, pretty much all these uh, uh, co-ops really need to not only have a, a commitment to uh, fill a need, uh, have values in, in doing that, but also have to be good at business to be successful and provide the services that the members really want today. You know, you mentioned something that I, I find, I think it's the first reason I like co-ops is the principle number five. There are seven cooperative principles, and number five is education, training, and information. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that one has to learn in a co-op is how do you solve problems together? Right. There's going to be differences of opinion. If you say two or more are gathered, you need God also with right. the book. And the reason you need guys because if you have two or more people together, there's going to be conflict. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because you need God and or 
cooperative principle is to learn how you solve problems when they show up. They're right. going to show. Right, right. And so figuring out, and this is what I like about co-ops, is that people learn uh, how to work together, how to solve problems, how to make decisions together to make it work. And that takes longer. Right. Okay? Than a hierarchy with one person at the top making all the decisions. Right. It takes longer, but once that decision is made, then it's implement, implemented better, well, faster. It's more accepted by the community yeah. because they feel like they've been hurt and they made their contribution. Maybe, you know, was changed a little bit to build upon mm-hmm. that idea. And, um, you know, it, I hear so many times uh, the people that uh, uh, participate on, on cooperative uh, boards uh, learn so much. They take some of these skills and, and, and move someplace uh, else uh, within the community. Here in, in, in the district, we've had folks that uh, have served on their uh, cooperative uh, board, and then they've gone on to, to, uh, to be council members or other advisors within the community, et cetera, et cetera or learn accounting skills and start out a bookkeeping business or something like that. Um, um, so it's, it's a great uh, way to sort of uh, learn uh, at the boardroom to know what minutes are all about and what budgets are all about and how to execute that, how to measure yourselves against the, the performance that you were expecting, and and then um, and then if there's a, an issue, uh, overcoming that challenge and figuring out what the solution is so that you can uh, move forward. These are all uh, skills that are very valuable uh, in, in our life and can be learned at the, uh, at the cooperative board table. You bring up a really great, a great lesson in this cooperative business model is that knowledge – Learning and knowledge and applying that knowledge is so much a part of the co-op principles, co-op business. And it helps the individual at the individual level, at the family level, at the community level. And all through these four years, Ruthie Wilder comes to mind. She's in Baltimore. She's the president of an 80-some unit housing Mm co-op. And she is retired now, but she worked in their metro system as a train driver, mm-hmm. uh, like a metro driver. So she's a blue-collar worker, everyday worker, but she's learned leadership skills. Mm-hmm. She has learned budgeting. She talked about it right here on the program. Mm-hmm. Okay, and she took those lessons that she learned and applied them to her life. Right. Okay. And the other thing that I've had people to talk about is once you learn in a co-op, how does a co-op function and how you get on the board of directors and make decisions – and once you get those leadership skills, then you go out and you say, okay, in community, I need to be on the board of directors, right. uh, board of education. Right. I need to be on the city council. Right. Okay, I need to be the mayor. So you get all of these different co- cooperators who learn these skills to go out and do other things. So that's, right. that is absolutely amazing. And in Jessica Gordon Nimha's book, Collective Courage, and some other things that David Thompson has done in writing about the civil rights movement and cooperatives, it was clear that Rosa Parks went to get training from people that did cooperative training. Mm-hmm. And she learned her civil rights, and that's why she was sat down on the bus. Right, right. She got her rights. And so I, I have it that the, the uh, civil rights movement would not have happened or would not have happened the way it did without cooperatives, and that isn't well known. Yeah. Well, I, I think that they definitely made a contribution to the civil rights uh, movement. You know, you, you uh, talk about the fifth uh, principle of education, training, and information. Mm-hmm. 
One of the interesting things about uh, uh, co-ops is, is that it gets people together and they, they share information. Yep. It creates um, synergies that uh, you wouldn't have expected. For example, here in, the, in, in Washington, D.C., there's something that was recently formed about three years ago called the Community Purchasing Alliance. And it, it's an alliance of uh, churches, and uh, they've added charter schools on uh, recently. And they had an interfaith uh, a council that uh, brought some of the churches uh, together from, from time to time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, someone had the idea to, as of some of these uh, discussions, uh, to f- form a, a cooperative to save on the purchases. It seems like everyone today is, is getting a little bit uh, squeezed as far as the expenses. And, and they found that they were, they were paying you know, too much for just simple things like a trash hog. And, yeah, you know, everyone uh, they were getting ripped their, off, it seems. Their trash <laughs> ta- taken away. Yeah. And, um, but they, they figured out that uh, if they came together as 50 strong or 80 strong, they could get a better deal. Yeah. And so they uh, did that with, uh, with electricity, and, and now there's uh, actually some solar panel um, uh, work that's being done of these uh, various different community churches. But getting back to this uh, informational and, and education, now that they're coming together and talking about uh, how they could save money, it creates other conversations mm-hmm. about how they can work together. Nothing to do with the purchasing, but, you know, uh, uh, other topics to, with religion and, and how you know, communities are talking with each other and, and how they can work together more closely. And you see that all the time in, in co-ops. Uh, co-ops help to create a community by uh, sharing information that you wouldn't have had as a result of, uh, I mean, the co-op brings that stuff together and that sharing of information helps to, to build community. And, and it's just not, you know, for the day, but uh, for hopefully for many years to come as, as a co-op continues to do its business. You know, I've been to a couple of their meetings, particular annual meetings, and as being a property manager and most housing co-ops are nonprofits, so they reach out to nonprofits. So I've had, uh, matter of fact, I bought my copy machine through them. Oh, that right? It's a great experience. I've got a couple properties that are looking at solar panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have looked at, what's interesting with the things like trash hauling, by having a property manager, we end up negotiating for all of our properties. So our contract was what they were getting, what CPA was getting. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get savings. But churches were paying twice as much on wow. average. Mm-hmm. So they got major savings. And what I also like at these meetings was when people are sitting around talking, all of these churches talking, now they have more money to put toward whatever their mission is. Absolutely. Okay, helping the poor, the least right. of these, or right. whatever, they're tr- whatever they're doing, if they, have a, if they have a school. Now they have more money for their school and less money for their vendors, which is neat. Right. And they sit around and talk about their missions, <laughs> okay, right. and how they can benefit with their mission. And so they can grow their mission yeah. uh, and, and help more people. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the exciting. things that the, uh, the bank uh, recently did was they um, helped fund a toolkit uh, so that other communities, other faith-based uh, communities or around the, uh, the country could use this toolkit if they're interested in form a purchasing alliance in their community. And there's been some interest. I know that the churches up in Baltimore have an interest in, in forming a purchasing uh, alliance, and there was a group up in Pennsylvania. Uh, but there's no reason why pretty much every community in the United States Mm-hmm. Um, should uh, especially faith-based organizations mm-hmm. be able to to work together, not only to to save save money, but to communicate better with each other. 
Okay, I I like this idea. I mean, if it could go national or international to get people both talking together, but also get people to save money. I, yeah, I love absolutely. it. Yeah. And the bank funded that toolkit? Yes, we did. It was uh, $50,000, and, and so we're going to be uh, putting it online and and um, hopefully um, communities that are interested. Uh, you know, each community will probably do it a little bit differently, but the toolkit will be a resource to show the possibilities of, of and the value of people coming and working together. Miss McDonald, and we're going to go to our second break, from with the Cabot Creamery said that the folks at NCB are angels, and this is one example. So, <laughs> okay. We'll be right, right back. Please don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O.S. and 95.9 FM. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we have in the studio with us Mr. Chuck Snyder, who's the president of the National Cooperative Bank. And you know, NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And one of the innovations we just talked about was providing monies as for toolkits so people throughout the U.S. can start up their own purchasing alliance for charter schools or churches or other nonprofits. And there's a lot of different innovative financial and related services that NCB uh, delivers. Chuck, my question has always been, and you've, you've answered it to me sometimes, I think this is the third time you've been on the program in these four years, but how does a bank work in low-income communities? Because I took banking in school, and most bankers, they only look to loan money to people already have money, already have assets, so that if they fail, then they can go reach out and get these assets to pay for the loan because banks are only interested in three things, right? getting their money back, getting their money back, and getting their money back. So it, how it, do you It is a challenge, this? but uh, we all remember the Great Recession of um, seven, eight, ten years ago, and banks uh, really struggled. And our loan portfolio to low-income communities did very well. It did better than our loan portfolios to non-low-income. That's hard to believe, Chuck. So how did that happen? (laughs) First of all, I think that, uh, you know, the the, um, people that we've uh, lent to in low-income communities want to repay us. And a lot of times, uh, if you lend money to a developer or you know, someone that's speculating and running out. Of, you know, they bought they bought a house to, to on the speculation that uh, it's going to go up in, in in value, and they're going to rent it out in the meantime. Uh, you know, that's a an investment activity, and and um, uh, you know, if trouble comes, uh, they'll try to get uh, rid of the, the the property or default on it. But if you lend to to someone that really needs a home in the inner city, at a price that they could normally uh, get in, in the marketplace, they, they'll fight tooth and nail to repay because uh, that's, you know, it, it's, it's so much more meaningful. And uh, you talk about innovation. We just, uh, yesterday we uh, approved a, a new program. Uh, it's with the Urban Housing Assistance Board, better known as UHAP, up in New York City. Uh, they're a developer of... Um, that's Andy, Andy Riker. Uh, Andy Riker is, okay. is the uh, head of uh, UHAB. And it is a loan program 
for uh, members of limited equity uh, housing co-ops and uh, to, to be able to buy a share. Now, most uh, limited equity housing uh, co-ops are structured so that uh, uh, the buy-in is uh, very reasonable, and for the most part, uh, these shares go for around $20,000. Uh, that's a good side. The, the bad side is, is that you know, uh, it's nothing to appreciate like a, a normal house. There's usually some formulaic uh, which allows them uh, some appreciation. But in a place like New York City where affordable housing is so tough to, uh, to get, you know, there's uh, uh, long-term residence, residence because they do have their, their homeowners. And, and we created a program th- with UHAB to make those $20,000 loans. There's not too many banks in the United States who will make a housing loan uh, for uh, $20,000, to be quite honest, because of all this significant paperwork. But you uh, UHAB's going to originate these, uh, these loans, and then uh, we're, we're going to service these uh, loans and, and, and finance the, uh, the, the, the purchasing. Uh, there's some credit enhancement uh, by some uh, foundations and things, uh, but it's going to provide a lot of liquidity for people buying and selling um, housing, affordable housing co-op uh, share loans up in New York. And one of the things that we're hoping is is that once we get that program up and running, we can move that to other cities. But that's the type of uh, thinking that uh, is required. Uh, it takes a long time to put some of these uh, programs uh, together. Uh, but the value is just so significant. And, and you, you brought up the, the issue as far as, you know, banks uh, can't make uh, loans. Uh, you know, we can do it in, in a way that's uh, creditworthy, but it does take a, a, a while, and it's not that efficient. So you have to be patient. And we're a co-op. We're owned by the housing co-op. Um, mm-hmm. So... You know, um, they elect the board of directors, and we meet four times a year, and they look me straight in the eye, and they say, what are you, what are you doing to help us out? <laughs> and I better have some pretty good answers. So it's, it's uh, a commitment, a long-term uh, commitment that's that laser-like uh, f- focus in on our membership. And, you know, we can't do uh, everything uh, that uh, maybe our members would like, uh, but uh, we have shown that dedication to this area we can achieve uh, a lot. In fact, you know, most uh, financial institutions uh, would only have maybe three, four, five percent of their loan portfolio in uh, low-income communities, and we have ten times that amount. We have some about thirty-five percent of our portfolio is in low-income communities, and that's wow. that's outstanding. It is, it is, and you know, I want to go all the way back to you mentioned that in the Great Recession that the low-income community did not fail. And I, I have it that one reason is this education piece. Right. And in this education piece that uh, housing co-ops particularly make, and co-ops also make long-term decisions, not necessarily short-term decisions. That happens in my MBA program. The, the criteria for making an investment was the return on investment for the investor. Right. What's the return on investment? So sometimes that would cause a short-term decision that may not be good for the business long-term. Right. But co-ops are in more involved, more interested in what's the best decision for our members. And so a lot of times that's a longer-term decision. So they would not make these short-term loans right. that have changing interest rates or big balloons now, you all wouldn't let them do it either. <laughs> Your co-op. No, I, I think the, the co-op board um, doesn't allow those things. Yeah. And, and so they determine um, 
what they think is prudent, and um, they um, provide guidance to, to their members so that their members don't get uh, overextended. And I think there was a lot of safeguards that were in place that didn't allow for a lot of the speculation that, mm-hmm. that was uh, caused in other markets and had uh, defaults. And, you know, it's not, it's not to say that the housing cooperatives didn't have their challenges. They had some challenges, but they didn't default on their loan. Yeah, they didn't they work together didn't to solve the challenges. Their, 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 their home. You know, they may have struggled here and there, but uh, for the most part, uh, they did much, much better. You know, one of one of the interesting things is is that uh, we did a, a, a study some 20 years ago, and it showed the operating costs of a housing co-op versus sort of a low-income uh, rental. Mm-hmm. There's a significant difference, and, mm-hmm. and it's it's cheaper, and it's it's the home ownership, it's caring, making long-term uh, uh, decisions. Um, a lot of a recent study that you just uh, uh, read showed that one of the reasons why public housing is so expensive in the United States is turnover. It's you know if you're repainting the the uh, the unit uh, every other year mm-hmm. and and doing a lot of fix up expenses and things like that, it's expensive. Very. It's expensive to, to rent out the unit all the time. Well, uh, from your experience, I, I know that you you, you see that uh, you know residents uh, tend to stay uh, in the housing co-op much longer. And, and therefore, it's cheaper. And then that, that savings is passed along. And so instead of paying, you know, $1,500 a month for a, a two- or three-bedroom, they're, they're paying 600 or $800 a month. I mean, that's, you know, it's a, it's a really good deal. And uh, not only that, they, they know their uh, neighbor and they know their community. Chuck, you bring up that 20-year-ago project, that research, and, and you funded another one that looked at all of the HUD-funded housing co-ops compared to the HUD-funded apartments. Right. And the HUD-funded co-ops outperformed the HUD-funded apartments in every variable. Right. Rents were lower because people took better care of. The, the board of directors made better decisions long-term so that the property, after 30, 40, 50 years, was in much better shape than the apartment down the road. Right, right. Okay. And in, in Atlanta... Uh, the second project, Wildwoods, I think, was the name of the cooperative. They were paying $500 a month for a two-bedroom, and down the street for an apartment, it was $800 a month. Right. right. Okay. Uh, every variable, the, the housing co-op outperformed. So my question became, why then does HUD not put more money in? They were putting very little money in housing co-ops, only in seniors, right? not in just everyday co-ops, and they put all of their money in apartment buildings. I have a theory. <laughs> well, you have any sense of why the HUD, the U.S. government doesn't put well? It's, better? it's one of the. Uh, the uh, it's an FHA program that's actually paid for itself. Uh, oh yeah, and, and it's a mystery uh, to me. Uh, I, I wish our public policy uh, uh, folks would uh, understand this a little bit more and be more uh, supportive. But the, one of the things, besides all the economics and building of the community, one of the things that I like most about the uh, the study was it, it showed that uh, residents of housing co-ops vote more in the public elections. Oh, yeah. Than, than they are. Absolutely. They're more engaged. Yeah, they're more engaged. It's their yeah. community. They they have ownership. And if, you know, if you're renting it, you know, they're like, well, you know, it's not really, you know, not really mine. And so, you know, you, you have less of a vested interest in, in your community. Now, I've sat in, a, I cannot tell you the number of housing co-op board meetings with my business and the property management. 
But it's uh, it's amazing. Sometimes they take long time. Sometimes they don't. But it's how people will hold each other accountable right. in, the, in the co-op. If you're not paying your bill, they come at you. Oh. If you're not taking care of your property, they come after you. And then they, yeah, they work with the police. Right. They work with the city council. They learn how to do all of this, which makes this so much better. And it, it, even... If there was a Section 8 in a housing co-op, the government, the government would pay less because the, the rents are less. Yeah, yeah. Or co-op fee, whatever, maintenance fee, whatever you want to call it. But I had a, a story along uh, several years ago. I was visiting a, a housing co-op uh, here in the district, and I was talking with the with their president, and she was telling me all about the, uh, the housing uh, co-op community. And there was uh, a bunch of kids that were hanging out in, in, in front of the housing co-op, and and um, she went out and said, hey, you know, move down the block. <laughs> and you're causing a little too much trouble. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I sort of mentioned, I, boy, you were pretty tough on in, in those kids. She says, no. She says, you see that door? That door is my door, and they're not going to be causing trouble in front of mine. <laughs> and that's ownership. That's ownership. And, and um, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, it was the community that she wanted and not the community that she was forced to live in. Yeah. They... Clean it up. They go out and clean up in front of their exactly. community. Exactly. They want the trash. They want it, uh, yeah. you know, like everyone uh, wants. Uh, they want a clean, safe, uh, clean community uh, to live in. And um, when you have that ownership, uh, things like that happen. But that's one of the things in that HUD uh, study was they were safer. Yes. They were safer because that same woman would go say in the board meetings, I hear them say, well, I know that's Joanne's son out there who bringing these cars in here or uh, Judy's boyfriend is selling the drugs. So they knew who was doing it and they talked to the police and said, you know, you got to get that away from here. Yeah. We're not having it here. So yeah, ownership. Uh, It doesn't just automatically happen going from a renter mentality to an owner mentality, but when it happens, you get great results. Well, that's one of the things that that we we can talk about after the break, I guess, but uh, okay, we'll talk about it after the break. But we're talking about housing co-ops, but you get the same kind of thing in any type of co-op yeah. where people really take ownership. Well, that's where that fifth co- cooperative principle, education, uh, you really need to, to educate the, the board of directors as to the, their power and, and their, their authority and limitations as well. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Information is power, and this is Vernon Oaks with Everything Cooperative. That's why the WOL is a great partner because NCB has given us and supported us with monies and to give you information about cooperatives. If you get this information and use it, either find a cooperative to go do business with or start a cooperative to solve your community problems, then that's where the power is in the information. And Mr. Chuck Snyder is here with me today, the president of National Cooperative Bank, Given information about why co-ops work. Now, cooperative values are self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, solidarity. And in the traditions of the founders, cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another. And, Chuck, I really wish we could get these values on Capitol Hill. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, in the White House and in... Uh, 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 absolutely. <laughs> it seems like we're we're a little short on that uh, yeah. these these years. And, um, 
You know, one of the, uh, the the things that we're proud a lot about a lot of things we do at the bank, but uh, uh, for the last four years, we've been recognized by the Washington Post as being one of the best employers. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason why I thought of that was is I think the main reason is is our values and fairness. And, and not only do we try to do what's right for our member, our customer, uh, but we use a same value system with our employees right. uh, and try to uh, provide them a, um, a workplace that they, they feel is fair, equitable, uh, pay, um, have career paths, et cetera, et cetera, diverse. And it's good business. Uh, co-ops are, are good business. But the, the reason why I think it's, it's good business, and we live in, in a environment where you know, people will change jobs very frequently. And, um, you know, we serve our same cooperative members year in and year out, and we feel that it's a strategic advantage for us in competing with other financial institutions to have long-term employees that build up long-term knowledge and relationships with those with those members, which uh, then we can hopefully, you know, serve them uh, better. And in some of the other larger financial institutions, you, you basically, uh, I know many people don't go in, in the branches these days, but uh, if you do, you'll see a lot of turnover in, in, in mm-hmm. that branch network. Mm-hmm. And, and so we view that values as, as the way we do business uh, all throughout the organization. You know, I'm going to go back to something you talked about earlier. And i got to tell you, if I wasn't 70 and looking for a job, I'd be knocking on your door at NCB because of your values. Okay, and I've asked you this before, but do you like where you work? Do you like what you do? Oh, I, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't know much about uh, co-ops before I uh, joined the uh, the bank, and but uh, let me let me tell you my story about how I became in, involved in in co-ops. Uh, you know, credit unions are cooperatives. Right. Um, you know, they uh, you know are in business to serve their uh, members, and uh, the members elect the board of directors, and I was. Uh, President of elect, I mean, a uh, temporary federal credit union. Uh, this is a long time ago. Uh, this is back in in the late seventies, and uh, uh, I was asked to uh, uh, to run this credit union. It was for uh, workers of temporary uh, uh, workers, and mm-hmm. um, you know, if you work for a temporary help company, it's pretty difficult to get yeah. a, a job because when you fill out a uh, job application, you're temporary mm-hmm. and not permanent. You know, uh, there's a good likelihood that uh, you'll get turned down for the uh, for the loan, and um, so I, I uh, uh, and I, actually I was was uh, asked to shut it down. But uh, um, after working there uh, a couple of months, I said, you know, we can make a go of this. Mm-hmm. And, and the very first loan that I made got me got me hooked. And it was uh, a single mom that came into the credit union. Um, and said, uh, hey, I, I need a loan desperately. Uh, we're living with some family members, but they're having some issues, and they want me to move out. I don't have any place to, to move. I need money for a deposit. Security deposit. Okay. Security deposit. It was $250 oh that she God. needed a loan for. And uh, so I thought, okay. And I called up her, uh, her counselor, and I said, is this a good person? She said, yep. And I said, well, is it dependable? Yep. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give this person a $250 loan, but make sure she's employed for the next six months <laughs> so she can repay us. And uh, 
So I, I did that. I, I, you know, I was a little bit naive at the time. I didn't uh, know the impact that this loan was going to have on, on, on this person. But it seemed like every week this person came in and deposited another $5 into her account, made her loan payment. She was saving. She thanked me profusely and mm-hmm. said, you know, uh, I needed help, and the credit union was there to help me. And I'm thinking, gosh, this was a simple business transaction, and if I could make that big of impact on someone's life by making this loan. Count me in. Count me in. So um, that's how I got uh, involved in, in co-ops was through that loan at, at the credit union. And, um, you know, I've been trying to do things like that uh, ever since. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's too well to do good. Any organization uh, has to perform well financially to pay their people well, to provide fringe benefits, et cetera. And run like a business, and you you have to make tough decisions sometimes. But then use your values and and see how you can really have maximum impact and value uh, for the people that you're trying to uh, to serve in balance uh, with those profits. Obviously, you can't uh, spend so much that you become unprofitable. But if you do it right, um, you can do well to do good. And, um, you know, we've been doing that uh, for many years. In fact, next year in 2018, uh, we're going to be rolling out a national depository program. Uh, It seems like no one goes into uh, the bank branches anymore. And um, uh, we're going to be marketing over the the Internet to to sell um, checking accounts and CDs and things like that. And what we want to do is attract people um, that are interested in investing in NCB to help us do more of the things that we like to do uh, of helping people. And uh, so we're, we're going to start this uh, program. We uh, spent the last uh, uh, nine, 12 months uh, upgrading our, our digital platform. And uh, so we're, we're just about ready to get this thing rolled out. And uh, we think that, and we, we get people calling us up all the time. Jay, can we open up an account at NCB? We like the things that you do, and we would like to support an organization uh, like yours, uh, because you invest in things that we care about. That is absolutely wonderful. Now, who decides what happens to those profits? You got to be profitable. I don't care if you're a nonprofit or for profit. You got to make money to to survive. Well, that's why we have uh, board meetings, and uh, you know the members elect uh, the membership, and we have various different uh, committees, and and we create budgets, and we talk about these things all the all the time, and it has to be a balance. You have to to make money and be profitable. You have to invest in your community, just like you know we invested in our systems uh, recently. You have to put money away to, to do those things. Uh, but then again, you want to make sure that you're uh, investing in in the communities that you're trying to uh, to serve. And if you do it right, uh, you, you, like I said, the loan portfolio in low-income communities uh, performed very well during the Great Recession. And uh, that made money. And then there were some other portfolios that uh, uh, that we had that uh, actually uh, didn't do as, as, as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. And so you can do these things uh, prudently, but you have to do it cautiously and, and um, use sort of old-fashioned uh, uh, banking uh, uh, concepts and, and, and be conservative, uh, but also be, uh, be committed and willing to, to listen and also be there over a long period of time. You just can't come into a community and then leave. You have to be there for the long term. Well, I've had several co-ops come in and say, well, first off, the members decide what happens to the money, its profits. 
maybe through the board or maybe through the membership, but they put one-third in dividends back to members, one-third in social responsibility kinds of things back to the community. And it could be to help other co-ops to get formed and grow, and then one-third for growth. Right. Even right. I, I've heard a lot of different formulas, and yeah. it, it, each co-op is different, right? And depending what they're what wanna, what they want to achieve, and uh, and that's fine, you know. And the, the members cooperative decide. model is endlessly adaptable, and uh, <laughs> you know, you do what the what the members want. What do we only have a minute or so left? What do you want to say? What how do you want to lead people today? Well, we just uh, celebrated uh, a co-op month, October, and um, you know what? I I just feel that. Uh, today, co-ops play a very important role in, in our society, and um, I encourage everyone to learn more about the, the various different types of, uh, of, of co-ops. Uh, be willing to volunteer your, your time, whether it's the credit union or your housing co-op or the community purchasing alliance of faith-based organizations or or uh, help a, a worker co-op uh, uh, get started. There's a Exiting, uh, there's owners of various different businesses that uh, feel committed to their employees and, and have actually helped their employees buy the uh, the business through a worker co-op or through an ESOP. And so I encourage everyone just to sort of learn more about the, the cooperative model and how much it has contributed uh, not only here in the United States but abroad. Um, we didn't talk uh, about the international contributions of, of co-ops, but it's very, very significant all throughout the world. Everybody out there, thank you, Chuck, for coming in. Thank you for listening. Please have a cooperative week, and we will see you next Thursday. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, 95.9 FM.